2022 ACB Virtual DC Leadership Meetings will be held Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. Registration is $20 for ACB members and $30 for non-members. ACB members were sent a discount code via email. If you are an ACB member and did not receive the discount code, please call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Registration closes March 9. Visit acb.org for more information or register at https slash slash tinyurl.com slash 2022-DC-Leadership-Meetings. expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, good evening, everybody. I am Sheila Young, President of the Florida Council of the Blind, and we are very honored to have you here tonight. I am honored to introduce Cassandra Jesse, who is the second vice president of the Florida Council of the Blind, and she is our facilitator for this evening. So, Cassandra. Good evening, everyone. Um, I want to thank you guys for coming. And I know you wonder sometimes, you know, all the things that you have to do in life, you know, getting your wills done, making sure that your children are taken care, making sure your pets are taken care of. So the Florida Council of the Blind this evening has uh, partnered with Irene DeJesus, who's a lawyer out of Orlando, and she's going to talk with us today on how to create a will, talk about the difference between the different wills and different um, entities that you may need to go through. Um, so I want to say good evening to Irene. Good evening, Irene. How are you doing today? I am wonderful, and I'm really happy to be here with you guys. Great. So tell me, first of all, inquire your minds want to know, what got you into elder law? Okay. What's your story? All right. So I hope we have a few minutes here. Um, we do. Okay, good. I started out uh, as a nurse. Um, I was a nurse for quite a long time, and so was my husband. Uh, I'm originally from Canada and then immigrated to the States back in 1989, and we came to Florida. I came to Florida, and that's where I met my husband. I was working in the trauma center, and he was working in the ER. And he ended up, going, we have two boys, uh, they're now fully grown and we have grandkids. Um, but back in the day, when the boys were little, uh, five and six, he decided he wanted to go to law school. So he went to law school and I continued working nursing um, so that he could do that. And then he was in his last semester of law school. And he developed a brain tumor on his brain stem. He was given less than a 1% chance of survival. And at that time, Cassandra, we did not have any kind of planning in place. We didn't have anything. Um, I think it's probably because both of us either thought we were invincible or we'd eventually get around to it. And so we, because Alexa, we're both- Alexa, what time is it? 
I don't know, Alexa. I'm not sure. There. <laughs> um, but anyway, so we uh, found a surgeon because we're both very deep in the healthcare community. We got a surgeon and um, he basically let us know, look, you're going to have the same outcome whether or not you go in for emergency surgery now or I give you seven days to get your affairs in order. And if you um, do happen to survive the surgery, the best that you can expect is in three months from now that you'll be bedridden with a feeding tube and a breathing, breathing tube. So we did decide to take the seven days and we, um, I had a whole list of things to do. Uh, you might call me detail oriented. You might also call me a control freak, it, whatever you choose. Um, but I had a whole list of things that I needed to get done in those seven days. And one of them was put a plan in place for us. And so we did that. And um, I had this like feeling of, okay, I scratched it off the list, but I remember while we were in the session and the attorney was asking a bunch of questions. And I will tell you that, you know, Cassandra and Sheila that, um, it was kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher. It was just like this wah, 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 you know, going in one ear and out the other. And 30 minutes later, he printed out a plan. And I remember going, okay, great. Thank you. We got that done. And then I stuffed it in a drawer. And then fast forward, just FYI, hubby was a total miracle. Um, six weeks later, he, uh, after relearning how to walk and getting his hearing back and everything, he graduated with his law school class. Um, and that was 18 years ago. So every year on February 10th, we celebrate his new birth date. Um, and then, so once he did that, I remember as time passed, I remember thinking, you know, I really would like to go to school. And I decided if my husband could do it, I could do it. And so I went to law school. Um, I went when the boys were going into high school. And my husband's pretty amazing. He used to be a pediatric nurse. So I knew they'd survive the four years while I was at law school. Um, they did eat pizza for four years. But other than that, they're doing really good. One is in the military. And the other one is in his fourth year of med school. So, yeah. Did that answer your question in a long-winded way? It did. It did. And so fast forward to now, um, you and I talked, and you told me you opened that drawer one day, and yeah. you pulled out that paperwork. Tell me yeah. what that looked like. Yeah, so that was like a pit in this sinking pit in my stomach. So by that point... I had already graduated from law school and I was getting ready to open up my own law firm. And I thought at that point, I surely should be smart enough to be able to read our plan now and understand it. And so I pulled it out and I'm like, oh no. Um, those weren't my exact words. They were much more colorful. Um, 
But what I realized is the person that we had picked to wrap up our affairs uh, was currently in jail. And to make matters even worse, uh, the person that we had picked to be the long-term guardian for our boys was a pedophile. And I tell you that just because stuff happens in families. Things just change, right, over time. And that was our experience. Our experience was, you know, that planning we did 10 plus years ago, it wasn't relevant for today. And it wasn't relative, uh, relevant as well because the, our assets had changed in those 10 years. Our family structure had changed. Uh, the Florida, Florida state laws had changed as it pertains to wills and powers of attorney. And then so did federal law. Federal law changed as well. And our plan wasn't keeping up with all of the changes that happened in our own life. So that, Cassandra, that is the point when I said, okay, there has to be a better way. There has got to be a better way than the traditional model of uh, law firms. And so now you are now you and your husband, you both are lawyers and you primarily deal with elder law. Am I correct? Yes. So we specialize. We Mm -hmm. do um, estate planning. So that means wills and trusts. Right. And Mm -hmm. all your documents and your powers of attorneys and everything that needs to go with that. And then we also um, are certified in elder law. Uh, Elder law is an area that Hector and I absolutely adore. And you, if you don't know what elder law is, you might think, oh, that must be dealing with seniors, right? Older people. Actually, elder law is from birth all the way to the grave. It's dealing with uh, special needs. It's dealing with, and that's like in early, all the way from being born all the way through special needs to then in the elderly population, needing that nursing home care and how do you get that care that you need and how do you navigate? So for all of those populations, how do you navigate this really complex maze of healthcare and law? All right. Awesome. So let's just get right into it. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. Let's talk about wills. Let's talk about the difference between a living will and a will, because some people think those are the same. And and can you explain to us the difference and how they work? Yes. All right. So let's start off with a will. Um, A will is something. Now, remember, I just want to have a disclaimer here, y'all. This, I am, sir, I'm licensed in Florida. So everything I'm telling you is based on Florida law. Each state may have its own nuances, right? There may be differences in each state. So make sure you consult an attorney in your state to make sure you're getting the right advice. Um, I'm here to give you a really good basic primer and that should apply to most states. Um, With that said, so a will is something that 
you might put in place before you pass away and it will state your wishes. This is what I want done once I'm gone. Now, the important concept to remember is a will does not take effect until when, Cassandra? When does that will take effect? Do you know? You're six feet under. Yes, ma'am. You got to be six feet under. Now the will works. Before that, the will has no power. There, It is just a document sitting there waiting, okay? And so in Florida, that document needs uh, two witnesses. It needs to be signed by two witnesses. And those witnesses need to be in the physical presence um, of the person signing. We also have the ability to notarize that document. What that does is when you notarize it, those two witnesses then do not have to go to court after you pass away to state to the judge that, yes, this person really was there and they really did do the signing. Uh, so we do both. We have witness, two witnesses and we notarize it. So now going back, people have the misconception that if you have a will, that it doesn't need to go through probate. Have you ever heard of probate, Cassandra? I have, but could you tell us, the audience, exactly what it is? Yep, so probate is, every state has probate. Uh, depending on what your state is, it can take longer or shorter. Uh, probate is the process where any assets that are titled in your name those assets, the way they transfer to your heirs or your beneficiaries is by the court substituting its signature for yours. And once probate closes, now those assets can transfer. So let me give you an example. Say you have a checking account or a house or whatever. You have something that's titled in your name. The only way that will pass to whomever you decided you want it to go to is this probate process. Now, in Florida, it takes roughly 9 to 12 months for probate to close. There are costs associated with that um, and time, of course, as well. Probate is also a uh, process that's public because... You are, once you deposit the will to the court, which by Florida statute, you need to do that 10 days after someone passes, that's a public document, okay? And a lot of folks have the misconception that if you have a will, your will does not need to go through probate. Well, it does. And the reason it does is because Cassandra, during life, Let's just say you're going to buy a house. Let's just say the house, okay? Mm -hmm. In order to buy that house, besides getting the mortgage, you're also going to sign your name, right, to the deed, correct? Correct. Once you pass away, what did we lose, Cassandra? What don't we have any more of yours? You don't have the insurance? No, we don't have your signature. Oh, that's true. That's right. I'm not about to you know, dig you up and grab your hand and make a sign, right? 
So we mm -hmm. lost your signature. We don't have it anymore. That's why now the judge needs to substitute his or her signature for yours. So those assets can transfer. Lots of things can go wrong in that process. So the judge is also looking at, did you follow the law? Um, is it okay if I give a brief example on that, Cassandra, where it went really wrong? Absolutely. Okay, so here in Florida, we have this really cool thing that if you're married, um, then and you were married at the time that you bought the house, just by operation of law, which means you don't have to go through probate with your house, just by operation of law, it will transfer to the surviving spouse. So it's a really cool thing we have in Florida. Not every state has that. However, if you buy the house before you're married and then you forget to put your spouse on that deed and you have minor children, that house now only goes to the surviving spouse is what's called a life estate. That means he or she doesn't can't sell that house unless she has approval from those final people that will inherit that house and that's her children. She can't sell it, but she's got to keep it up. She's got to pay the taxes. When I say she, um, substitute him or her, okay? Um, I just happen to see in my practice that women tend to have more longevity, so I apologize if I'm being biased here on that one. But you can really mess something up for your surviving spouse if you don't make sure that deed is titled correctly before you pass away. Another thing that can happen is you decide, so this is your house, right? You decide you want to leave it to someone else. If you have a spouse or you have minor children and you've done that, the court will now say that is a defective device. That means it's not an appropriate gift. They will null and void it and it will be as if you died without a will. That's called intestate. And now what they will do is substitute Florida law and now, once again, that spouse only ends up with the life estate, and it's a really hideous thing to do. It's not a good thing at all. So there's a lot of pitfalls that can happen. Did I say too much, Cassandra? I do. I, I don't think you said too much, but I think we're going to pause here. Um, and Sheila, we're going to take a couple of hands with questions. Um, we're going to do questions right now. If you have a statement, let's hold those to the end. We're going to take a couple of questions and then we'll move a little further just so we don't get overwhelmed. Okay. That's great. Let, idea. Me, let me give everybody the, the um, how to's. If you've come in after the fact, this is being recorded. So please know you have to hit the got it button in order to be able to unmute. If you get the message that says the host is not allowing you to unmute, it's because you didn't hit the got it. If you're on a PC to raise your hand is Alt-Y, to mute and unmute is Alt-A. If you're on a Mac, it's Option-Y, to mute and unmute is Command-Shift-A. If you're on a smart device, it's under more on the bottom right to raise your hand, bottom left to mute and unmute, 
And on the standard keypad is star nine for the letter Y to raise your hand, star six to mute and unmute. Dan Day, you may unmute. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Can you hear me? Okay. Uh huh. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Thank you, Sheila, and thank you, Irene, for the explanation. Yes. Um. So you mentioned well a couple of examples you mentioned that you might have to probate through a will would be something like a financial account, like checking account, uh, and your home, of course. I wonder if you might explain the role of something like a ladybird life estate deed or enhanced life estate deed for preventing your house from having to go through probate and uh, possibly a beneficiary form on a financial account to avoid probate. Yes, sir. Excellent. Excellent, Dan. Thank you. So Florida, we are one of five states, five very lucky states that have this cool thing called a ladybird deed. It has nothing to do with Ladybird Johnson. Um, they just used her name. Okay. But what it is, it is called it. The legal term is it in an enhanced life estate. What that means is you own your home, you and your spouse own your home. And on this deed, you have full control. Unlike a regular life estate where you have no control, this one, you have full control. That means you can sell the home whenever you want. You can improve it. You cannot improve it. You can do whatever you want with your home. However, once both of you pass away, you've already determined who you want to inherit that home. That now makes it so that it doesn't go through probate. In Florida, it does another really cool thing. Because it doesn't go through Florida uh, probate, if you were to need nursing home care, 24-7 nursing home care, and the state is paying for that care, once, you're home, once you pass away, normally the state can come in and force a sale of your home. However, what now that we're doing this Lady Bird deed and we're bypassing probate, they actually can't come in and force the sale of the home. So I use this tool all the time with both my estate planning clients and my elder law clients. Now it does a really cool third thing. Dan, I hope you're okay if I go into a third point. Is that all right? Oh, that's great with me. Thank you. Okay, good. So this third point is I tend to have elder law clients come in and they'll say to me, I put my, I had a health scare and I put my son or my daughter on the deed with me. Was that a good idea? And I let them know probably not the best idea because you've done two things now. The first thing you've done is that if your son or daughter were to get into a car wreck or, God forbid, something happens, but it's there at fault, they now, that house, because they own it jointly with you, that is now an asset of theirs. You've just now made that asset available to the courts. Not a good plan, right? And we all think that our kids aren't going to get in trouble, but... We just never know, right? Then the second thing you've done is instead of allowing your child to inherit that home, now they you've just put them on the deed. 
What happens when you pass away and they decide they want to sell that home, they've lost what's called the step up in basis. Okay, that's a big concept, but it's really, really awesome. If you inherit in Florida, if you inherit that home, say mom or dad, mom and dad bought the house, oh, like a bajillion years ago, and they paid $100,000 for it. When they both eventually passed away, now the house is valued at $500,000. Junior goes to sell that house, he would have to pay capital gains on that $400,000, right? That's a significant tax. But mom and dad were really smart and they did a ladybird deed. They allowed him, Junior, to inherit it. Now he gets to step up in basis. So when mom and dad pass away and he goes to sell the home, it's as if mom and dad originally bought that house for $500,000 and shut the front door. There's no capital gains tax. How cool is that? So Gary, I hope that explained the ladybird deed along with some other cool things about deeds. Now, for your financial accounts, one of the things that we talk through with our clients is when you do either become incapacitated, so you can't make your own financial decisions. You know, how could that happen? I don't know, car accident, stroke, who knows? Oh, and just FYI, everybody, I am the attorney of death and destruction. Okay. Uh, so just because I'm talking about things, these things doesn't mean they're going to happen. But it's my job to really look to see what's all the possibilities, right? And so one of the things we talk about is on your checking account. Most people use their checking account as their operating account, meaning they pay their bills from it, right? And so they probably have a lot of things set up on auto pay. And so one of the things I say to them is, okay, if you were to become incapacitated or you were to pass away, who would you want to manage that account for you while you're alive? Who would you want to manage that account for your benefit? And when you pass away, who would you want to pay your last bills and do all of that stuff and wrap up your affairs? If you have somebody that you really trust that can do that, a great way to do it is called a pay on death or a transfer on death. So, Dan, I'm assuming that's what you were talking about, correct? Yes, thanks. That is exactly what I was talking about. Okay, good. Now, here's where there's a caveat when you may not want to do a pay on death or a transfer on death. Okay. And another thing that Dan was talking about too, that it includes is insurance, right? So insurance, um, life insurance and retirement accounts. Those two things are technically what we call beneficiary designated assets. What that means is they have beneficiaries assigned to those uh, accounts. So if you pass away on a life insurance account, you've likely named somebody that you want to inherit that money, right? What tends to happen, what I see happen 
is they forget or they're never asked to designate a secondary beneficiary. Another term is contingent. So if you don't designate this other person, say it's a husband and wife, we'll just go with a husband and wife. Dan, I don't know if you're married, but we're just going to pretend you are, okay? And typically what people do is they'll name their spouse as the primary beneficiary, but they won't name anyone else. If you both pass away, that asset that didn't need to go through probate, you've just now forced it to go through probate, okay? And another issue is, I see this all the time, parents that have minors at home, young children at home, they will name each other as the primary beneficiary and then they'll name their children as the secondary beneficiary. Well, if mom and dad pass away together, you've now taken again a beneficiary designated asset that doesn't need to go through probate. You've just now forced it through probate because the court cannot give minors money, right? So these are things that I talk about with my clients going, okay, did you think of this? And here's where I want you to look at this. Here's another issue. Um, Dan, I hope it's okay if I bring up a third issue. Is that all right? Or am I getting... Okay, good. I just don't want to get too deep in the weeds here. Um, So you stop me when I'm going too far. Another issue that I see is one of our clients. So I'll just use that real life story. She was a single parent. She had a minor child at home and she didn't want to list her mom as the primary beneficiary. She was really concerned because mom was still driving and probably shouldn't be driving. And if mom got in a car wreck, everybody does realize, right, that if that insurance policy has mom or anyone listed as the beneficiary, it is his or her money. It is not the kid's money, it's their money. Which means her worry was if she got into a car accident and it was her fault, now this money is available to the courts, right? To use um, for a judgment. Another issue, this is another one that happened. This was a new client of ours. Um, She had come to us to get her planning done. She'd recently got a divorce. And in the divorce decree, the marital settlement, it had said that each one of them needed to get a life ins- a half a million dollar life insurance policy um, so that they, the children would be supported, right? If something happened to them. She did it. She got her policy and did all of what she was supposed to. He got and they named the ex-husband, right, as the primary beneficiary. And she listed a secondary. He got insurance. And he listed his sister as the primary beneficiary. He dies. He just passed away. The kids are four and six. The sister took the half a million and bought a house with it. I'm not kidding you. Mm. And there's nothing you can do about it because it's her money. So, Dan, did that answer your question? 
Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Sheila, do we have a couple, uh, two more hands? Yes. One more hands? Okay. Yes. Area code 772 ending in 214. You may unmute. Please tell us who you are. Patricia. Hi, Patricia. Go ahead. Hi. Yes. Um, I have a, if you could clarify to me um, regarding Dan's um, question statement uh, regarding the home being bought for 100000 and then the house would, uh, is worth 500000 Yes, ma'am. And the capital so, gains. Yes, ma'am. So the basic concept for that, Patricia, is have you heard of capital gains before? Capital gains tax? Yes. Okay. So this is what we're talking about. Okay. And here in Florida, um, this is also a federal law as well, but I can only speak to Florida. Um, one of the really wonderful things about inheriting a home instead of just being put on the deed now where you're an owner of it. So we're talking about now, Patricia, are you married, sweetheart? No. Do you have any children? Yeah. Okay. And how old are your Ad kiddos? Adult children. Adults. Yay. Adult awesome. Yeah, me too. Adults as well. And so just pretend you bought a house. Okay. And it's in your name. You decide, listen, I want to make sure this house doesn't go through probate. And so I'm going to put Joey on my deed with me. He's an adult. I can put him on there. And so we already know, Patricia, not a good idea, right? Because if Joey gets in an accident, that's now his asset. It's available to the court system. So we already know that's not a good plan. The second error in that plan is this capital gains. And so if you pass away and Joey's on this deed with you, joint on this deed, right? It, I will tell you, most kids don't keep the parents' homes. They don't. Um, but even, even if he lived in it for a while and then he goes to sell it, one of the things he's going to have to do is get uh, an appraisal of that home, right? And right. whatever that appraisal says, so Patricia, let's pretend uh, you bought the house for $100,000. i am just trying to use easy numbers, okay? Way uh -huh. back in the day, you bought the house for $100,000. Now, you pass away, okay? And Joey goes to sell the house. Joey needs to get an appraisal on it. He gets one. And the house is worth now $500,000. Because Joey didn't inherit it, right? He's just on the deed with you as owning it. Joey now has to pay the difference of the what you bought it for and the new value. So that's 500 minus 100. We got a $400,000 capital gains. You made $400,000 on that house. Now, the government's going to say, okay, now that's what you owe the tax on. And typically, that's anywhere from like 23% on up. Um, 
And so that's a significant hit, right? The way to bypass that, which is really cool, totally ethical, totally legal. Oh, by the way, I do not look good in orange. I do not wear orange for anyone. That means everything I do is legal, above board, and ethical. Um, just making sure you knew that. So, Patricia, now, the way he doesn't, Joey doesn't have to pay those capital gains is if during life you do, you make it so that he inherits the home. When he inherits the home, instead of just getting and owning it with you during life, when he inherits it, he gets this thing called a step up in basis. So your basis when you bought that house was $100,000. When you passed away and he goes and sells it, it's now worth $500,000. Guess what? Joey sells it. It's as if you bought the house for $500,000. There's no capital gains. Does that make sense? And and, and this has to be, is this a document? Well, it's depend. Well, you've got to figure out how you want him to inherit it, right? And here in Florida, I don't know what state you're in, but here in Florida. Florida oh, girlfriend. Oh, your life is set. It's a ladybird deed. Ladybird deeds are off the charts amazing. Because you're taking your, you're killing, if I can say this, you're killing two birds with one stone. One, you're... Um, making it so that your adult child um, can inherit this home and then two, and then get the step up in basis. And then two, that if you were to ever, God forbid, need 24 seven nursing home care and the state of Florida was footing the bill on it, they can't come back after you pass away and force your child to sell that house, your adult child to sell that house to pay back to the government what you used. So it's pretty awesome. Okay, let's take okay. one more no. question, oh. Patricia. We need to take one more question because we are already 40 minutes into the call. So. Right. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. Absolutely. <laughs> Deborah Jackson, you may unmute and ask your question and then we'll move on to the next topic. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Yep. Okay. I'm in Colorado. Um, my mother and father, they both are still living in like 85 and 86. And uh, because they've seen how a lot of uh, their friends had ended up in, in their sister living and moved the house. Yeah. So they put the house in my oldest brother's name, who, who is mentally delayed. He can't read and write. And he's, you know, older than I am. So what happened if something happened to all three of them? Because they think that that means nobody can do nothing to the house to sell it. And there's seven of us left. Yeah, well, so I, Deborah, just so you know, I don't practice in Colorado. Um, I will tell you that Florida is a very, very friendly state when it comes to elder law. What does that mean? We have a lot of strategies that we can do in elder law to protect assets, okay? Other, mm -hmm. state, other states like Colorado are not as friendly, just FYI. Um, so I can't really speak directly to your scenario except to say 
that, yeah, it's probably going to end up going, having to go through probate because they haven't listed anybody else um, and they haven't done any strategies. So for you, Deborah, in Colorado, um, we have the same thing all across the country. There's this thing called gifting. So the, the biggest um, government body that pays for nursing home care in any state is Medicaid. Okay. It's called Medicaid. It's mm-hmm. not medic. It's not Medicare. It is Medicaid. And then, so that's a federal law, right? That's a federal statute. And each state can then implement those federal laws um, as they choose. Now, there's very strict guidelines, but every state is different. And one of the things that stays the same, though, is called gifting. And I'm not saying this is happening in your situation, Deborah, but one thing you've got to be really, really careful about is this concept called gifting. And that means that you give, so pretend I'm, I'm a senior citizen, pretend I'm not, okay? But I'm mm-hmm. an elderly person, I'm over the age of 65, and I'm trying to do some planning that maybe I just got a diagnosis of early onset dementia or early onset Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, something like that. I still have my faculties about me. I still know what I'm doing, but I'm imagining in somewhere between three and five years, I may need 27, 24-7 nursing home care. So I think I'm going to be really smart And I'm going to try to spend down, I'm going to try to give away some of my assets because I know in the state of Florida, the maximum assets I can have that are in my name is $2,000. Okay, that's all Mm -hmm. I can have. I pretty much have to be destitute for the state to help me pay my $10,000 a month nursing home bill. So I get I get really smart and I think, well, I'll just give my kids um, my stuff, right? I'll put their name on my checking account or I will give them my house. Um, and just FYI, this is in every state. Once you apply, you actually put the application in to get that help from the state. Doesn't matter. Okay, no matter what shape you're in, but you put that application in, if you have given something away and not gotten fair market value for it, it is called gifting and there will be a penalty. So in Florida, pretend I decided I was going to gift my house to my son and it's worth $250,000. Well, um, let's make the math easy. Y'all, I have an MBA, but it does not mean I went to math school, okay? Let's make <laughs> it really easy. So I have a $100,000 home, and I give it to my son. And I give it to him, and three years later, lo and behold, I need to go into the nursing home. 
The state now is going to take that gift of $100,000. They're going to devise it by the penalty. Uh, in Florida, that's about $10,000. It's around the cost, the average cost of a nursing home care in your state um, per month. And so they're going to take that $10,000. They're going to divide it into that $100,000. And now I got a penalty of 10 months. That means I am not eligible to receive government assistance for that nursing home until mm-hmm. 10 months have passed. And it doesn't matter if I'm destitute and broke. It does not matter. Okay. So mm. all I'm saying to you, Miss Deborah, is you want to make sure that mom and dad are working with an attorney that has elder law experienced and preferably certified in elder law. Because the last thing you want to happen is do like we did, Hector and I, thought we had plans in place and those plans were never going to work. I would hate to see your home end up going through probate. Um, That would just be silly. It'd be silly when they thought everything was taken care of. So I realized, Deborah, I can't speak to your state exactly, but I hope I've given you enough food for thought. Okay. You did. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. Let's talk about living wills and what that, what that entails. Yes. So, all right. Wills, we know only take effect at death, right? That's it. Now what's this thing called a living will? So a living will, remember now, this is also state specific. All right. But the general concept of a living will is For Florida, there needs to be the situation where you are incapacitated. That means you cannot make your own decisions. And then one of three situations need to be present. So, Cassandra, I'm just going to throw you under the bus right now, girlfriend. We're going to say it's you, okay? So, Cassandra... Thank you. Um, So, Cassandra, you are now incapacitated. I don't know what happened. Something happened. Uh, Let's say you were in a really, really bad car accident and you had a brain injury from it. Okay. And it has turned out now, Cassandra, that not only are you incapacitated, you're also in a persistent vegetative state. Do you know what that means, Cassandra? Tell me what you think that definition is. For me, it means that I can I can hear you, but I can't speak to you. I'll just I'm laying there and I'm looking at you. Yeah. Um, Are you focusing? Do you know what you're looking at? Not really. No. No. Right. No. And so a really um, crude way of saying that is the lights are on, but nobody's home right? And me working in trauma and critical care for many, many years, I've seen this a lot, okay? And so a living will would then kick in. So here's the three, all, the three states that need to exist. You are incapacitated and you have an end-stage condition or you're incapacitated and you have a terminal condition or you're incapacitated and you're in a persistent vegetative state. If that is you, you have decided beforehand that if you are being kept alive artificially, 
that you actually don't want your dying to be prolonged. And in the documents that I do, we add in there as well that please do whatever it takes for my comfort. Make sure that I'm comfortable, but please do not artificially artificially prolong my passing. And you're making this declaration while you are still competent. That's what's super, super important is that you do that. In Florida, we had a seminal case and that and that's where we really got our laws honed in. Um, does anybody remember Terry Schiavo? Do you, Cassandra, do you know the name yes. Terry Schiavo? Yes, yep. yeah. So yep. what you may or may not know about Terry is Terry was from Florida and she was 26. When she was 26, she had a heart attack. That heart attack left her not breathing for about four minutes before the emergency medical system could get there. Once they got there, they started CPR. They were able to get a pulse back, but she had no oxygen going to her brain, right? For four minutes, at least four minutes. So she was in what was called this persistent vegetative state. She was married at the time. Her husband and her parents could not agree on what they thought was the best outcome for Terry. Terry, of course, at 26, had not put any plans in place. That's not surprising, right? Just like me, you think you're invincible. And her husband was, now remember, this was a loving, wonderful marriage. Um, he was going, Terry would not want to live like this. There is no way that she would want to live like this. And her parents were, no, Terry would want everything done for as long as possible and don't stop doing what you're doing. Um, and so there was multiple court battles. It went up to the Supreme Court. That's how um, entangled this was. And we finally got some really good laws from it, um, which we now have this really great living will uh, document where people can decide beforehand, look, if this were to happen, this is my wishes. So Cassandra, did that answer the living will? I think so. And since we're there, why don't we go over to medical power of attorney? Because those yeah. two kind of... Kind of goes, yes. Yes, they do. So there's two powers of attorneys that I want to talk about. I want to talk about financial and I want to talk about medical. Let's do medical first because that's where we're at right now. Your medical powers of attorney, once again, you guys, there are different nuances depending on what state you're in. I can only speak directly to Florida because I'm licensed in Florida. So as far as advanced healthcare directives go, this is where you say, Look, if for some reason I can't make my own healthcare decisions, this is who I nominate to make those decisions for me. They can hear my information, however they're going to get it from the physician or whoever, they get access to my medical information. And based on that medical information they're getting, they can make healthcare decisions for me. 
in that situation, you guys, I always think that it's a really good idea that you talk to that person beforehand and really go over what is it you would want to happen. And so there's different scenarios. You know, one of the scenarios could be you just went in for surgery right? It's just surgery. I mean, let's not go all doom and gloom. It's just surgery. You're under anesthesia, which means you can't make your own healthcare decisions, right? At that time, but they found something. And instead of having to wake you up and close you up and take you for surgery again, they just want to get permission from your healthcare agent. That's who you picked in advance um, what is, you know, these are the options. What do you think she would want done? And then they can go ahead and get that done. Those are in Florida, we have this thing called advanced healthcare directives. So it goes through a bunch of scenarios, but the bottom line without complicating this too much is it gives whomever you choose as your agent it gives them authority to make these healthcare decisions for you. We always want our clients to pick at least three healthcare agents. Do they all work together? Oh, no. Oh, no. If you ever want to see a fight break out, you name Co's. Do not name co-agents, okay? Because in a stressful situation, I can almost guarantee you they will not be able to come to one decision. You'll name whomever you choose. So for me, I'll just give you my example. My husband is my healthcare agent, okay? My son is his backup. And then my other son is the backup to my son. I always want to make sure that I've got a backup and a backup to the person that I picked. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So I'm good. The, all right. So now your HIPAA is part of those advanced healthcare directives. So is your living will. Okay, we've already gone over living will. Cassandra, do you know what a HIPAA is? A HIPAA waiver. It means it's the HIPAA waiver is um, where you're not really allowed to discuss um, their medical unless you're on their unless you're on their um, the paper that says you're allowed to yep. talk to them. Yep. And in Florida, you guys, our healthcare directives all have a HIPAA in it, um, and so. By the way, so does the financial power of attorney. It does too. Um, but for some reason, and remember, I used to be a nurse forever. We nurses, us healthcare professionals, we love and are used to seeing a HIPAA waiver as a standalone document, right? And so we, you don't necessarily need it because it's already in your advanced healthcare directives here in Florida, but we do it because your doctor's office wants it and the hospital wants it. You can, on we see this often, you may name, so Cassandra, we're just gonna pretend you're married and you have two sons. We're just pretending you're me, okay? So okay. Cassandra, you could name your husband as your agent, right? He's the one that'll make decisions for you. And then his backup is your one son. And then that son's backup is your other son. But you've also got a sister 
who you're really close to and you've got a mom who you're close to. I don't know if any of this is true, but you do. And so we can on that HIPAA, that standalone HIPAA, we can include your mom and your sister if you want so they can hear your healthcare information, but they don't have authority to act on it. So say, Cassandra, everybody's in the hospital, right? You're there, they're there because of you, and they can hear the doctor talk with your agent and then your backup agents, right? Um, And so can mom and sister. Do you see how that could be helpful? Mm -hmm. Yep. So did that answer all that? It did. It did. It did. So financial financial power of attorney. Y'all, I'm telling you, there are two documents that I believe you should not be without if you're 18 years or older. Okay. That is a durable, well, yes, durable power of attorney and healthcare powers of attorney. So we've already talked about the healthcare. The durable power of attorney, that's your financial powers, okay? There are, once again, I'm speaking to Florida law, all right? And here in Florida, we have two different kinds of financial powers of attorney. One's called a general and one's called a durable. The last thing you want is a general power of attorney, Why? Because if you become incapacitated, that document doesn't work anymore. So in Florida, you want to make sure your power of attorney says it is durable. That means it will survive incapacity. I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody managing my finances if I'm completely capable of doing it, right? Um, I want them to step in when I can't make decisions. And that's when I'm incapacitated. So that's why you want that power of attorney to say that it's durable. Here's also where Florida will differ from other states. There's only about 15 states that have enacted this thing. Um, And I'll explain it as simply as I can. In most states, A power of attorney for finances does not kick in until something happens. There's some triggering event that causes you to be incapacitated. Now your durable power of attorney agent can step in and can manage your finances. Realize this person holds a very powerful position. Here in Florida, They can buy and sell property, real property. They can manage and open and close bank accounts. They can sign contracts on your behalf. Um, Here's the other thing to know. A power of attorney only works during life. That's it. When you die, the durable power of attorney or any power of attorney dies with you. That's why... In a will, you will have language in a will for the personal representative or executor, whatever it's called in your state, the person that wraps up your affairs. That's why there's language in the will that looks like a mini power of attorney, because that personal representative 
needs that authority to wrap up your affairs, right? All right, getting back to the durable power of attorney, it only works during life. In most states, it springs into action if there's a triggering event. Florida, along with 15 other states, God bless us, has decided, so this is Irene's paraphrase of the law, okay? Florida decided, look, if you trust that person as your agent, when you can't watch them, right? Because you're incapacitated. You can't watch them. If you trust them when you can't watch them, then you should be able to trust them when you can watch them. So in Florida, there is no requiring triggering events. That means as soon as you sign that durable power of attorney or general power of attorney, as soon as you sign it, and that person you pick to be your agent, they have authority right away. Now, when can this be a good thing? Because I want to show you I'm not all doom and gloom, all right? Um, about a year ago, my husband and I bought a small boat. Now, don't get excited, just a small one. We're here in Florida. We bought a small little boat. And I, the day we were going to pick it up with our truck, um, I happened to have a client. So I was working and I couldn't go. My husband went to pick up the boat and the salesperson said, is this deed, is the title, is the title just going in your name? Now my husband's a smart man, all right? And he said, no, I want it in both of our names. And the sales manager said, well, she's not here, so I can't put it in both of your names. My husband says, oh, no, yes, you can. And he pulled up on his cell phone, our durable power of attorney. So he got to sign my name as him being my power of attorney. So both of our names are on that title. He's, and we're still married. Yeah. <laughs> Did that help? Does that make sense, Cassandra? It, 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 it is. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, Sheila, you want we take a couple of hands real quick? We're only going to take a couple because we got a couple more things we want to talk about. All right. And we'll if move anybody on. has any questions, you know how to raise your hand. So please do so. 508 ending in 613. I believe that's Jane, but I'm not sure. Yes, hi, Sheila. Hi, Jane. Thank you for this wonderful session. Um, I have most of these things in place. So I'm very lucky. I live in Massachusetts. However, there is, and I've also been in the medical field, and my mother is a retired pediatric nurse who's in a nursing home. She's been a wow. nurse for 60 years, and she still wow. keeps her license current. Anyhow, my question is, and I know the answer, and I do have this, you talk about medical documents that need to be, people need to look at. What about a MOLST? You know what I'm talking about? The nope. M-O-L-S-T? Never heard Maybe of it. Massachusetts. Yeah, I've never heard of it. What is it, my dear? It stands for the Medical Order of Living Statement of Treatment. Yes. So we don't have that in Florida. I think um, so. Is it similar to the living will that I talked That's about? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And so every state has some version of a living will. And That's why you I might say that yeah. you're right. A lot of states are different. 
Yes. But because um, yes. we don't have a living will in Massachusetts, we have advanced directive, we have the most, and yep. we have a power of financial and durable attorney. Perfect. Good. You're covered, my dear. Oh yeah. Yep. Thank you, right. Jane. Thank you for Thank being God. here. Thank you. I just wanted to let people know that they should be looking into that if they don't have it, because it's very important to put you, what your wishes down are, even though you don't think you have any wishes or have any have any material things, because we learned the hard way. Yes, well, thank you. Sheila, do we have any more hands? Yes, we do. Okay, we'll Laura, take a couple hands. Laura, you may unmute. Thank you, well, Sheila. Thank uh -huh. you, Sheila. Uh -huh. And I'm really enjoying this because I'm at the point that I want to go out and get a will made. And I had so many questions, but I'd like to ask one of them. Um, right now I'm in Michigan, but but there's a good possibility that I'll be moving to another state. If I'm going to make a will, should I try to make it here? Or should I wait till I move and see where I end up? Oh, Laura, that is such a good question. Um, and I'm gonna give a typical attorney answer, which is, it depends. And so I'm gonna give, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna give you that it depends scenario, okay? So I, we here in Florida tend to have a lot of folks um, coming down to Florida. And just FYI, so here's some of the, some of the things to take into consideration. Your will should work in any state you're in, right? It should work. Here's where the issue comes in, okay? The issue comes in is if you own any real property, Laura, in the state that you left. So I'm going to just pretend we're going to do I some do. pretend. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to make some pretend facts here, okay, Laura? We're going to say you're in Michigan, you own a house, and you are coming to Florida. You're not, but who cares? Just pretend you are, okay? Because I know Florida law. So you're going to come to Florida. You've done your will up in Michigan because you want to get all your fares in order, which is great. You get down to Florida, and you do things where the state would say, You've made the intention to become a Florida resident. Okay, what are some of those things? Well, you got a Florida driver's license. Honey, I don't know why you'd want to drive in Florida, but you chose to, okay? So you get a Florida <laughs> driver's license. You get your voter's registration for Florida so that you can vote. Now, I will tell you in Florida, the, the DMV, as soon as you switch your license plates, one of the things they're asking you right away is, do you want a voter's registration card? So it almost goes simultaneously, just FYI. So you've got your driver's license, you got your voter's registration changed, and um, you may or may not own a house, but here you are. Florida assumes now that you've become a Florida resident, okay? You didn't do anything else, and then you ended up dying. So, Laura, we'll say this was yesterday that you died because obviously you're alive today, so you didn't die, okay? So, yesterday you died and you still have that house in Michigan. Well, because you died in Florida, for the probate will happen in Florida, 
Okay, Florida has a vested interest in your assets. So if that's a checking account, whatever it is, okay, Mm -hmm. they've got a car, whatever it is, they've got a vested interest, there will be a probate in Florida. However, you've still got property up in Michigan, Michigan also has a vested interest. If you haven't done any planning for that house, Michigan is going to do what's called an ancillary probate. You're going to have to go through, okay, you'll be dead, so you probably don't care. But your family is not going to be thrilled with you. They're going to have to go back up to Michigan and do another probate. So that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? No. No. So there's things you can do to bypass that. There are definitely things you can do to make sure that that doesn't happen. But Laura, without me going into those details, what I'd really recommend is talk to your attorney in Michigan and then talk to an attorney in the state that you want to go to and see what the laws are and compare them, okay? To give you a better answer on when you should put that plan in place. And the other thing it depends on, Laura, is how quickly are you going to move? Here's the other thing I see is that people say they're going to move in less than a year and then life happens. It just happens and they don't end up moving right away and then something happens to them. So think about that. Okay. I hope that was helpful, my dear. Thank you. And since you're talking about probate, let's just talk about what it means to have your state in probate because you started it and that was actually the next question. So let's okay. just go right there. Let's just so, give us a little definition okay. of what that means. And All right. So let's walk through this, you guys. There, let's talk about the difference between a will and a trust. Can we do that, Cassandra? Absolutely. We can put all, put that all together. Yeah, because I think then you can get a really good comprehensive picture, right? Absolutely. Of this. So a will, we know that a will must go through probate when you die. What it doesn't necessarily mean, though, is that your assets have to go through probate. I hope you all heard that. Okay. To me, now this is just me. That doesn't mean it's you, all right? To me, if one of my clients is going to go through probate, we've made the decision, the educated decision together, me, my client and myself, that a will-based plan makes the most sense in this situation. Why? Because... We've taken care of the house with the ladybird deed. And so we know that doesn't have to go through probate. In Florida, probate takes roughly nine to 12 months. It costs money. And we also know for some crazy reason, families just go crazy when somebody dies and there's assets involved. I don't know why, but they just do. Okay. So probate Yes, has to happen. What does that mean? You file the will with the court within 10 days of your passing, right? It doesn't mean, though, that your assets have to go through probate. What's good about probate? There's a really good thing about probate, which is if you have any creditors, 
and you start the probate process, you've now put a time limit on the creditors. And if they don't meet that time limit about, fi about filing a claim that they have against your estate, they're now barred from filing. That is awesome. That is an amazing thing. Here in Florida, it's three months, okay? That's why you want to do probate. But you don't want necessarily your assets to go through probate. So I work very diligently with my clients to see what is it you want and then how can we make your assets be able to pass without probate? One of the things Dan and I talked about, remember, was a pay on death or a transfer on death. Another thing Dan and I talked about, and thank you for this, Dan, we talked about that ladybird deed, right? So, yay, you're still going through probate, but your assets aren't. You're going through probate because you want to get that clock ticking on those potential creditors, right? Very cool thing. However, we also talked about a lot of circumstances where actually it doesn't make sense in your uh, specific scenario to do a pay on death or a transfer on death. Maybe you have minors at home. Maybe, maybe you've got somebody in your family that's got a disability and they're receiving government benefits. And if they inherited from you on your passing, they would lose those government benefits. You don't ever want that to happen. And so in that scenario, you'd want to make sure they could have a special needs trust. The special needs trust is something where that person can still receive their government benefits. And then whatever they inherited from you goes into that trust. And it's used for everything else that the government isn't covering, right? And so I just got muted. There we go. I'm back unmuted. So it's it's a really cool thing, this special needs trust. Well, anyway, so think about this scenario might not work for you to do a will-based plan. You need another way to make sure that your assets don't go through probate. And you also want to make sure that while you're alive, if you were to become incapacitated, you don't want your family having to go to guardianship court. That's what we call it in Florida. Other states might call it conservatory, right? So there's different names for it, but it's where you're incapacitated. You can't make decisions for yourself anymore long-term, and the court has to appoint somebody to be your guardian. There's a guardian of care, that's your personal care, and a guardian of your finances, okay? So that scenario, you also might own a business, so, Cassandra, did you know what? Well, you tell me, Cassandra. Pretend, Cassandra, and I don't even know if this is the truth or not. Cassandra, let's say you own a business. Okay. And something happens to you. You either become incapacitated. Let's go with death first. You die. What happens to your business, Cassandra? Uh, the, the court gets it, right? You have to go through probate. The business mm -hmm. has to go through probate unless yeah. you set something up. And I, most businesses, I don't think, could survive going through probate for nine to 12 months. 
right? While right. somebody tries to make decisions. There's a really cool tool that you can use in every state and it's called a living trust. What do you know about a living, a revocable living trust, Cassandra? To tell you the truth, I don't, I've never even heard of it. So I'm right, happy awesome. to hear about it. Yes. Okay, good, good. So a revocable, there's two main kinds of trusts. All right. I mean, there's a bajillion trusts, but there's two main categories. The first one is called a revocable living trust. The second main category is an irrevocable trust. Okay. What we're talking about right now is a revocable living trust. That's where you, as the person that owns the trust, have full control. You can do whatever the heck you want with your trust. The way I explain a trust is think of it as either a banker's box or I like to think of it as a little red wagon. Why? Because I had one when I was a kid. Okay. And in that little red wagon, I would put all my stuff. All my toys would go inside of my wagon. And if I wanted to take a toy out and give it to one of my friends, I could. If I wanted to get toys from my friends and put it in my wagon, I could. If I, let's just say I had a temper tantrum, not saying that I ever did, but say I had a temper tantrum and I just turned that wagon upside down and poured everything out of it, I could. The point is, I could do whatever I wanted, okay? Now take that concept of that little red wagon. I'm holding the handle. Wherever I go in my neighborhood, that wagon follows me, right? I'm directing it. What happens, though, if I lose capacity? What happens to that little red wagon or my trust? What happens to it if I no longer can hold that handle and guide it the way I want it to go? Well, that's when, before that handle hits the ground, my successor that I pick, it's called a successor trustee, my successor trustee grabs that handle and they walk exactly what I have outlined on the path that I would go if I could hold the handle. They are gonna manage those assets for me. That means that person now does not have to go to guardianship court because there's already a plan in place for my assets. We're skipping court during life. If it's my business, same thing. I can put my business here in Florida. I can put it in my revocable living trust. How cool is that? When I die, it will not go, if it's done correctly, right? If it's done properly, my trust doesn't go through probate. It completely bypasses probate. So in some, just to conclude here, in some scenarios, it really makes sense to do a will-based plan with all your documents. And in some scenarios, 
it really makes sense to do a revocable living trust with all your documents. Part of what I do is I sit with my clients and we figure that out together. It's a two hour meeting and you might be going, holy cow, I don't know if I can listen to her for two hours, but I would tell you, you've almost listened to me already for an hour and a half. So you can do it. (laughs) Um, So we do this two hour meeting and we walk through, all right, based on your family dynamics and family structure, your assets, state law, so that'd be Florida law, and then federal law, this is what would happen if you passed away yesterday. This is what it would look like here. You look at it, you decide if it's good or bad, right? I'm not deciding that. This is your stuff. You decide if it's good or bad. And then if you decide, oh my, I've got some gaps. I've got holes. I really need to get this fixed. And you decide, you know, Irene's a pretty cool. She's pretty cool. I'd like her to be my attorney. Then in the next hour, we're going to design your plan all out for you. And that might be a will-based plan or it might be a trust-based plan, but you will know, you'll be educated, you'll be empowered, and you will make the decision. Whatever attorney you work with, it doesn't matter to me who you work with. Work with somebody that's going to educate you and empower you to make your own decisions. Because I don't think blatant statements of, oh, you need a trust works for everybody. Um, With that, Cassandra, did we answer all the questions? I think we did. We do have a couple hands raised and we have about six minutes. Oh my. I'm just, wow. (laughs) So before before we take the hands, Mm -hmm. um, I just wanna say this. one thing I've learned is all these documents that she's talking about, you guys, please, please, please get a fireproof box to put them in. Um, you know, you can get this little pretty envelope that looks really cute and file it all away. Um, but uh, some kind of strong box or something that that is fireproof. That is one of the things that I have learned. Cassandra, yes. can I jump in on that one? Absolutely. Such an amazing point, right? Just FYI, you guys, everything other than your will here in Florida, you can have copies of, okay? Copies work the same as if it was an original. So your durable power of attorney, your trust, your revocable living trust, your healthcare directives, all of those things. Florida law, Florida statute says copies are absolutely acceptable. What is not what you need the original of is your will here in Florida. And so what Cassandra is saying is we direct our clients a couple of things. One, yes, you want to put that original will in a safe Something fireproof safe, okay? The second thing you want to do is you want to make sure either your attorney, uh, in our case it's us, or somebody in your family knows where you have that original will stashed. Because we're going to 
need to find it so we can file it with the court when you're not here. And another thing that I think is really, really important is do you have the ability at least every three years here in Florida to meet with your attorney, go over what's changed in your family, what's changed in your assets, what's changed in state law, and what's changed in federal law, and be able to update those plans to make sure those plans work when you need them. Okay? Thanks, Cassandra. Mm -hmm. All right, Sheila. Terry from Maryland. Terry, you're mute. Hi, Terry. Thank you, Sheila. How are this you? Is, you are doing a fabulous, this is a fabulous service, this call tonight. I thank you so much for doing it. I have two very quick, hopefully quick questions. One of them is, is a special needs trust irrevocable or irrevocable? And my other question is, in regards to uh, Medicaid, for someone um, who's, if you had someone who was applying for Medicaid, had and sold their house. It's been my understanding that in some states, and I'm wondering if it's federal or particular to states, if they have a child who is blind or disabled, they can transfer the money to that child without it having to go through the through taxes, uh, without having it uh, without. I'm sorry, without the five year without the look back. Okay, so Terry, you are right. Let's take the last one first with Medicaid. That is one of the exceptions to the five-year look-back period. You are absolutely right. So good on you on that one. The first one, the special needs trust, is it revocable or irrevocable? So it depends. Um, it depends on several things. One of the things is there are first-party special needs trusts and third-party special needs trusts. Most folks don't need a special needs trust put in place for their loved ones until they pass away, right? It's once, so Terry, let's just pretend you're mom and you've got a special needs child. You're doing everything you need to do. When they turn 18, you're getting them all signed up for all their government benefits and everything they're going to need. What you want to make sure, though, Terry, is that when you pass away, little Joey, I don't know what your baby's names are, but little Joey isn't going to inherit directly from you because if little Joey does, he is going to lose his government benefits because he's above now that threshold, right? Because it's a needs-based right. assessment. The way you get around that legally and ethically is you put in place what's called a third-party special needs trust. That means that when you pass away, if any of your beneficiaries at the time of your passing have a disability and they're getting government benefits, they will not inherit it outright from you. They will inherit it through a special needs trust, okay? So for you, once you die, your trust becomes irrevocable. And now we're gonna set up the special needs trust for your disabled child or adult child or whatever, okay? Um, there's multiple different kinds of special needs trust. First party special needs trust is the actual disabled person is using their own funds and they're setting them up for themselves. When does that take effect? Well, maybe you're an adult, you have a disability and 
You want to make sure that your assets are protected. One of the ways to do it is set up a uh, pooled special needs trust. We do not have time to get into that, my dear, but I hope I answered at some basic level your questions. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much. Irene. You're welcome. Yes, ma'am. Would you like to give out your contact information for those that are in Florida so that if they have any other questions, they could do that? And yeah. I have been just enthralled with this entire meeting. Cassandra, thank you so much. So. Oh, thank you. So should I just give that to yeah. Ms. Cassandra? Perfect. No, no you, well, you, can just, you can just say it. Oh, say it. Okay. You can say it. Mm -hmm. So um, probably the easiest way would be to give you our virtual receptionist phone number because you can book a 15-minute call with me, and it's at no charge. It's absolutely free. And the important part of that is I'm super, super busy. And so if we can get it on my calendar, then I don't miss it, Right. Um, and so it's 833-358-7878. That's our virtual receptionist, and they will be happy to book a 15-minute call with you. I can only help you if you're in Florida because you have to be licensed in the state that you're working with. Um, and then uh, what else? That's about it, right? Well, yes. thank you. Oh, my goodness. This has been amazing. Thank you, everybody. We had as many as 60 people tonight. So thank you so, so much. I think the information you shared and Cassandra, thank you for putting this together. Thank you, everyone. Have a great night. Thank yes, you. thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Attorney have... DeJesus. You have a great day. Oh, please, you can call okay. me Irene. I have. Okay, Irene. <laughs>